This is God's word. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And now join me in the book of Exodus, it's the second book of the Bible, book of Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and I'll read verses 4 to 6. Exodus 20, verse 4, this too is the word of God to us. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray. Father, we come resting this morning in the promise of your love, and that as an expression of your steadfast love to us, you have given us these words. You've given us this book, and you speak to us through this book, and by your Holy Spirit, even now. And we come trusting that that's an expression of your love because sometimes it is hard to hear what you say. What you say is challenging and and sometimes even confusing. And so we also come asking for your help. We ask that your Holy Spirit would humble us before what you say. That he would open us and make us receptive to your words. And that as we listen, as we hear, our faith would be nourished. And that it would produce in us lives of obedience that reveal your glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you hate the word commandment. Some of you don't like that word, but if I'm honest with you, I kind of like it. I'm kind of attracted to the word commandment because I am attracted to the potential of clarity. I, I like the idea that maybe I can come to these Ten Commandments here in Exodus chapter 20 and, and clearly understand what I should do and shouldn't do. But then I read these Ten Commandments and I come to the second one and I'm disappointed. I mean, there are only ten of these, right? 
And already we have one that seems to have nothing to do with me or my life. Maybe you felt that way as I read this text. Graven images. What? Check. I've got that done. I don't have to worry about that. I can take a 27-minute nap and then lunchtime. (laughs) What does this have to do with us? Graven images. Well, I want to ask you for a moment to to set aside that preconceived notion of idolatry that we have, that preconceived idea uh, that it's primitive people bowing down before statues. And I want you to, for a moment, think about images. Just images in general. And how your life is full of them. And how your life is profoundly shaped by them. All of us this week have seen hundreds, maybe thousands of images. And they've affected our emotions. They've affected our budgets. They've affected our time. And they've affected our desires. And most of us have not only seen images, but we've touched them. And they've connected us to other people. They've connected us to information, to experience of all sorts. You know, I could put pictures on this screen that is above me that would make you hungry or sad or or make you say, I want to go to there. So can you acknowledge the power of images? Can you acknowledge that they influence your life, that what you see impacts profoundly how you live? And recognizing the power of images, let's come back to the second commandment. And I want to ask a couple of questions. First of all, what's wrong with images? And second of all, what's right with images? wrong with images? What's right with images? First of all, what's wrong? What's the problem with images? I need to say at the outset that God is not anti-art. The point of the second commandment is 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 not that we should avoid drawing and painting and carving and sculpture and other human creative activities. That's not the point of the second commandment. We have to connect verses 4 and 5 of Exodus chapter 20. Verse 4, you shall have no, don't make any images, right? Verse 5, don't bow down and serve images. And the, the link between those two verses is a link of purpose. No images for the purpose of worshiping them. Don't carve something for the purpose of bowing down and worshiping that thing that you have made. God is addressing our our intentions for what we make. He's addressing our response to what we see and what we touch. He is not saying, don't draw pictures or don't look at pictures. He's saying, don't replace me with what you can produce. Don't replace me with something that is man-made. Now, why does God care about this? 
Why does this matter to him? He's already told us no other gods. That's the first commandment, and it seems like the second commandment, he repeats himself. No other gods, and he just attaches images to that. Why does this matter so much to God? Well, there's certainly a relational issue here. We've seen throughout the book of Exodus that in a sense God is marrying His people. And He's asking from them exclusive love. And that theme continues here in this passage as verse 5 speaks of the jealousy of God. But there's more. The second commandment not only comes from from the passion of a husband, it also comes from the passion of a designer. Notice where these problematic images come from. The heavens above, which is the sky, the earth beneath and waters under the earth. Sky, land, water. This is Old Testament language for the order of creation. It's the way the Old Testament talks about how God has organized the world that he has made. And God is saying, don't mess with my design. Don't mess with the order that I have created. God, in the second commandment, is protecting beauty. It's one of the reasons I had us read Psalm 8 with the second commandment. Because Psalm 8 is a poem that celebrates the beauty of the creation order. The beauty of God's design. And notice how that poem that celebrates God's design begins and ends with the majesty of God. The splendor, the the priority, the supremacy of God. And in the second commandment, God is protecting that poetry. He is guarding the beautiful order of creator and creation. Every older sibling understands this protective impulse. You you have spent hours building a city out of blocks. And then that two-year-old force of chaos awakens from his or her nap. And what do you want to do, older siblings? You want to guard your design. You want to protect your creation. That's what God is doing in the second commandment. He has made something beautiful. And He is guarding His creation. He is protecting the beauty of what He has made. So see, the problem with images isn't images. It's us. And what we do with them. The problem with images is our capacity to take what we have made and with it replace the one who has made us. The problem with images is our tendency to trust what we can see and touch with the trust that belongs to God and God alone. It is our tendency to look to creation 
for what only the Creator can give us. To reverse the order of what God has made. So for example, I have a friend that I went to college with who is on an extended European vacation and and is posting many gorgeous pictures on Facebook from that vacation. And I see those pictures and there's a dissatisfaction in me that attaches to them. That looks at them and begins to say and to believe, man, if I had that, I'd be happy. I'd be at peace. My life would be what I want it to be. There's nothing wrong with a European vacation. There's nothing wrong with pictures of a European vacation. The problem is what I do with those pictures. How I elevate a created thing to the place of the Creator. The problem, the trouble with images is that we attach to them our hopes, our confidence, our deepest delight. In that potential experience, that potential possession, that potential body type, that potential future, we let that rule our lives. We let that rule our emotions and our actions. We let that take over our response to the world and the way that we live. That's the trouble with images. That we would take what we see, what we touch, what we can make, and put it in the place of God. Can you see that? Take some time this week and reflect on how what you see influences what you want and what you love. But noticing the problem isn't enough. That isn't enough. And so we need to go on and we need to ask a second question. We've seen the trouble, the problem, the issues with images, but now we need to ask a second question. Not only what's wrong with images, but what's right with them. In Exodus 20, verse 4, the words image and likeness are also connected to creation. See, Genesis 1 tells us that God made all things. And at the end of that process, when he comes to the climactic act of creation, What does God say? He says, let's make an image. Let's make a likeness. Both of the words that we find in verse 4 of Exodus 20. God says, let's make an image and a likeness. And then he creates humanity. Male and female. In his image. In Psalm 8, Things about what that means. In, in, the, in the center of this poem that begins and ends with the majesty of God right in the middle, what is there? Not the majesty of God, but our dignity. 
That God is mindful of us. That He cares for us. That He has placed us just a little lower than the heavenly beings. To rule over what He has made. To cultivate His garden. See, God, like an ancient king, who would have made statues of himself and spread them throughout his realm to remind people of his position. God has made us pictures of himself with the intention to spread us out through all creation as an expression of his splendor to accomplish and represent his purpose. That's why you breathe. That's why your heart beats. God is not opposed to images of Himself. He simply gives that role to us. That we would be His visibility in this world. That we would look like His character. That we would accomplish His purposes for what He has made. So when the second commandment protects the beauty of God's design, God is not only guarding His majesty, He's guarding our dignity, our worth, our meaning. And when we reject His design, We degrade ourselves. We become less than human. Less than what He has made us for. And the problem is, that is exactly what we have done. Because the Bible doesn't end in Genesis 1. In addition to Genesis 1, we have Genesis 3. God's images, humanity, replacing the Creator with creation. There's the ideal of Psalm 8, but there is the reality of our sin. The good news is that in response, God has not abandoned His images. He has not abandoned the purpose of making Himself visible through us. He has not abandoned that mission. No, He sent a better one. He has sent a better image. We read it this week in community Bible reading, Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You see, in sending Jesus, God takes... Alienated and broken images. And he restores them. And he reconciles them. Jesus fulfills the second commandment. Jesus is the poetry of Psalm 8. And he makes that poetry possible for us. Because in him, we are reconciled. We are restored. That is His work. And so that our response to the second commandment should not only be to turn away from false images, it should be to turn with faith 
to the true image. Our response to this command is not only to turn away from what is less than what God intended, it is to turn to what God truly intended revealed in His Son. And not to gaze upon Him at a distance. Not to look at Jesus like like he's a picture in a museum that we have to stand back from and we cannot touch. No, it is to receive him and to receive his ongoing work to repair shattered images of God. The book of Colossians goes on to say it is to let his peace rule our lives. To let his word, his message, to dwell richly in us. Maurice Sendak, the famous author of children's literature, told the story of receiving a letter from a young boy who loved his books. And in response to that letter, Sendak sent a note and a drawing that he had made for this little boy. A few days later, he got a note from that boy's mom, and the mom said, thank you for what you sent. My son loved your drawing so much that he ate it. (laughs) That's something of what our response should be this morning. That's how we should respond to the second commandment, to realize that God has sent to us an image and to receive Him and His work. In a moment, I will invite you to eat and drink what Jesus calls His body and blood. And yeah, there are theological nuances there, but still Jesus calls it His body and His blood. And this week, in that flood of images that rushes at you faster than you can process. Those images that invite your attraction, your attachment, your desires and your devotion. God calls to you. And He says, look, receive the true image. Receive the one who lived and died and rose to repair in you the image of God so that you can reflect His splendor to all creation. Let's pray.